weekend is almost here. We are just over three days away from Sunday's big playoff game between the Bengals and the Ravens. Third time the charm as these divisional rivals will meet for the third time this season after meeting, not even a week ago. Welcome into another post-scene preview, post-season preview edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Mike Nislik. Andrew Gill is getting a little break today with the busy week. Later in the show, we're going to be joined by Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic, and we're going to have a great and very, I would say, interesting uh, discussion on a lot of different things involving this game. Uh, before we kind of delve right in, uh, one of the biggest injury updates everyone's been following is the status of Lamar Jackson, and it has uh, taken a turn for the worse because Lamar, and, and this is just hours before we taped this, about two hours before, he took to Twitter, and he confirmed he's suffering a PCL grade to sprain, which is on the borderline, as he said, of a strain three, which also says that there's inflammation surrounding his knee. He said that he wants to be out there, but says he can't, which essentially confirms he's not going to be there beyond the severity of his injury. So that means the Ravens are going to turn their hopes to either Tyler Huntley or Anthony Brown Jr., who, like we've mentioned this week, Brown, first career start against the Bengals last Sunday. Uh... Is it fair to say things went from bad to worse for the Ravens just off the bat, Mike? No, because I mean I don't think anybody expected him to really play. I mean I, I think this is kind of what everyone thought with Lamar. I mean he hadn't practiced for what thirty-eight days as of like Monday or Tuesday or Thursday. Yeah, so I mean like I, I didn't see him sort of uh, making a return. I think the worst case scenario would be if Huntley can't go. To be honest, um, yeah, I think that their hopes are, are him coming back um, and starting that game. So I think that's, you know, Lamar, it would have been impossible, I think, for him to be successful, set up successfully. You know, he's obviously got uh, contract uh, discussions looming and things like that as well. So I just didn't see him going out there at less than 100%. I didn't either, but I think that's a soul crusher for the few people that had just a little hope in him. But I mean, with what he tweeted out, like, that's pretty bad. Like, even if he tried to play, which again, would be risky, but even if if he did, he wouldn't look like 60% of himself. So why risk not even being your full self when you can have more than just a PCL uh, injury? So not shocking there. Uh, with Huntley, he practiced Wednesday and Thursday. He was limited both days. He didn't throw Wednesday, but he threw on Thursday. That's a positive sign. He's dealing with tendonitis in his right shoulder, which is his throwing shoulder. So that's going to be the biggest thing. I'd imagine he'd be questionable and probably a game-time decision unless – John Haba says otherwise up to that point. But we talked a lot about that yesterday, uh, and, and I'm sure Paul and I will talk about that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, kind of switching gears to the Bengals offense, we've talked so much about Max Sharping starting for Alex Kappa. As we mentioned yesterday, Alex Kappa is not going to be playing this weekend. Beyond that, we don't know, but he will be out this Sunday. So that means it's going to be Max Sharping. You might have Jackson Carmen behind him and Hakeem Adeniji. It's going to stay right beside him in place of Lyle Collins. But here's where I think it's not that this gets underlooked, but I think this is a concern that's worth noting. Joe Mixon's numbers, at least since the Tampa Bay game, not ideal. Since week from week five to week 14, he actually didn't do bad. Like after that Ravens game, the first time they played, he averaged over four and a half yards per carry. He had the second best rushing percentage in the league since then. Then, since week 14, he's second to last in rushing, rushing percentage. He's dead last in yards per carry, just over 2.7 yards per carry. This season, his numbers aren't really all that impressive. 
3.9 yards per carry. He's 12th in defensive value adjusted over average, which means he's only 6%. The Bengals are 6% better when he's on the field. So you already have the concern with Mixon. And I get it. The Bengals are a pass-heavy offense. But does it concern you that without your two right-side starters and with the way Mixon is playing, is that a concern for Sunday? Or do you really think the Bengals can just let Joe Burrow cook and leave it from there? I don't think they're related, to be honest. I mean, I don't think – I think they've decided, you know, the running is not really that important. I mean, they use the, the short, you know, checkdowns to sort of uh, get that kind of production. Um, you know, I don't think one's kind of tied to the other. I don't think they're going to alter their style. I don't think the injury sort of impacts that. I think it does. If they can't keep Joe Burrow standing up, I think that's sort of the main concern, that he he doesn't have a clean pocket um, and they cause a lot of pressure and, and – um, you know, collapse things quickly. I think that's that's the issue. I mean, whether Joe Mixon, you know, this is not a good front to sort of run against anyway. Um, you know, I don't see that sort of I, – I guess I don't see those intertwined. That this is um, – you know, the, the concern is, 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 is Joe Burrow going to have enough time to throw in the pocket? Um, that, that's sort of to me where um, this game will be won and lost. Well, the big thing is going to be the pocket, and I want to get to that, but my only concern is – Look, you're not going to be a run-heavy offense. They haven't been all year, and they weren't even that last year when they made the run they made. But at the same time, like there were times where they relied on Mixon at Tennessee, at Kansas City. He was a big reason why they won those games. He scored one of the only touchdowns of the game against Tennessee last year. And I get it last year's last year, this year's this year. But if you're in down-and-distance situations, like especially if his DVOA is not that great where he's not necessarily getting those third-down, maybe even second-down conversions – I think it's still a concern, and I think it's more concerning that, you know, yeah, you can try to run him away from the right side, but it's not that simple because then the Ravens are just going to stack that side of the box. Like with their defense, like you mentioned, they only had one starter who didn't play last week. That was Marcus Peters. You can count he's going to be back. And speaking of starters, and to kind of get to what you said about the pocket with Joe Burrow, you made a great point that I'm going to keep harping on that you made on Sunday. I agree with wholeheartedly. It's that lack of killer instinct. And if we're going to be a little more soft about it, you could say it's just offensive clunkiness. Now, the Bengals, I guess in this case, Joe Burrow, because he's the, the passer here, he's 13th. and ex- No, this is the Bengals offense, actually. I'm misreading it here. The Bengals offense is 13th and expected points added per play, which is not bad. But if you're going against like teams like the Ravens, and if they want to survive that, the Bills, like – I don't know that's not enough, especially when you consider with Roquan Smith. Like, here's an example to prove how good the Bengals are with Roquan. Or not the Bengals. It has been a long week. The Ravens. How good the Ravens are with Roquan Smith. With Smith, they are tied for fifth in the league with success rate on defense. Without him, they're 27th. With him, fifth. Without him, 27th. Opponent explosive play. This is the big one. With Smith... They have the second-best opponent explosive play percentage. Without him, they're 10th. The guy leads – he has the third-most tackles in the league, 169. Uh, just over half of them have been with Baltimore. He had 16 tackles last week. He's a concern, especially because he's on that right side of the defense. He's an inside linebacker, but you can guarantee that they're not just going to use him in pass coverage when you know it comes to those checkdowns. I think him and Patrick Queen are going to bring a lot of pressure – which is to say that I, I am worried for Joe Burrow. I don't know that he goes through a complete nightmare of what he went through last year with 19 sacks in the playoffs, but 
I am. I mean, my concern level on a scale of one to ten, it's an eight and a half. Like, how high would you have your concern meter for Joe Burrow's pocket on that kind of scale? Yeah, I don't know. I rate it like that, and I mean, I think those numbers are a bit misleading in terms of Rokon Smith. Um, their schedule in the first six weeks, their first really eight weeks, um, that he was not part of the team was infinitely harder than the second week. Um, they faced some of the worst offense is in football like the last seven weeks of the season. So, I mean, yeah, he's good, but I mean that is sort of skewed. I mean, you know, in the first couple of weeks of the season, you know, Miami, New England, Buffalo, Cincinnati, New York. The Giants, Tampa Bay, all playoff teams. Um, they didn't face a single playoff team except the Bengals uh, in the back half last nine weeks of the season when, when those stats uh, you talked about. Uh, I mean, he's a good player, makes that defense better. He's all around the place, but I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, against the Bengals, um, you know, he was the sole reason for, for their success. I thought the defensive front had a lot more to do with that. Um, than he did actually. I mean, he was eating, he got 16 tackles, but I mean, that's not sort of a stat, you know, things just kind of go that way. Um, in terms of the pocket, you know, the concern level, I, I think is high just because, you know, it's that full right side, the interior part, uh, which the interior um, protection that uh, uh, Burroughs got this season has been, especially sort of during that win streak has been excellent. Um, and so now you, you kind of, that goes up in the air. I mean, he's still got um, Ted Karras, and obviously Cordell Volson, but, you know, Cordell Volson will now, uh, a rookie being put in a, in a tough spot, um, obviously now his first playoff run. So, I mean, yeah, I think that's one of the, you know, for a team with very few question marks, I think, you know, this presents their, their the biggest challenge that they over, have to overcome. That's going to be the biggest thing to watch. Not only is it going to be, you know, how hard are they going to attack the right side, how much is the pocket going to collapse for Burrow, but I want to see, you know, like I said, I know they're not a run-heavy team, but they have had an efficient run game for like nine weeks, and that efficiency has kind of dwindled. Are they going to try to adjust that with Mixon and maybe some Ajay Piran? Because we can't forget about him, obviously. He did a great job when you know Mixon was injured with a concussion for three games. Is he, you know Are they going to work on that, or are they just going to say, hey, Joe, you're going to cook, and you're going to cook a little extra today. We're going to put some more on your dish to cook. I don't know, but that's definitely worth watching. Um, that's going to be a big thing to watch. But stay tuned. Uh, Paul Daner Jr. is going to join me on this show. We're going to talk more about everything we just mentioned, plus more on what the Bengals have to do to avoid an upset to a six-seeded Baltimore team. But we'll have that much, much more right here, Strictly Stripes Podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We're joined by our special guest, Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic. He is the senior writer for The Athletic. And uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, Paul, but when I first subscribed to The Athletic when I was in college, um, one of the people I used to read was Kyle Tucker, and I still read him. He covers the Kentucky Wildcats. But I also subscribed because I wanted to read you and Jay because I, I loved reading your all's work. And what? I've been following the Bengals for a while before I came to Cleveland.com. So, uh Humbled to be with you, and well, I appreciate shoot. you doing this. Wow, thanks. I appreciate it. We always appreciate subscription, but yeah, no, there's, of course. there's so many talented people that, that work at The Athletic. It's awesome, and Kyle's um, one, of, one of many. And this is year three for you on The Athletic, right? Uh, yeah, I, I blends together the yeah. – 
The 2019 season uh, was my first here, so I don't even know what that is anymore. What are we on? Is that four seasons? I came. I moved that would o- be. That I moved would be. over when Zach Taylor came. So, uh, so that would be four seasons. Yeah, so I've been an athleticer ever since uh, Zach Taylor's <laughs> been a Bengals head coach. You're an you're an athleticer now. Before that, you were an inquirer. Yeah, there that's you go. even a term. <laughs> uh, and you covered the Bengals for how long with the inquirer? Uh, well, I was uh, 2013. I worked with Joe Reedy as sort of his second person, but I wasn't full time. And then from 2014 through that 2018 season, I was uh, uh, full time. Yeah. So almost a full 10 plus years on the beat. So you've yeah. covered this extensively. Well, before that, and before that, I was with uh, CBS Sports. So I covered the team starting in 2010. So, okay. Uh, it goes. Uh, it goes. Too far back. I've seen too many things. You've seen too many things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, of course, that includes all those playoff losses from 2011 to 2015 when Marvin Lewis was the head coach. But, you know, obviously, Paul, it's so different for this postseason because they're coming in with the crown on their head. And, you know, as the saying goes, heaviest is the head that wears the crown. What feels different, though, besides that? Like, you know, you've covered the team for so long that – I think sometimes people think of, oh, they think of the Bengals who couldn't win a playoff game. And that's clearly changed with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor changing the culture. But is there anything that just feels different about this playoff game beyond just winning and losing? I think how much it doesn't feel like a playoff game. I mean, if you've been around here for any number of years, you know that when the first week of the playoffs come, the same storylines show up, we start talking about all the same things, right? The last time they won a playoff game was 1991, the the playoff win drought, and I'll call Kevin Walker and we'll talk about the Bo Jackson curse, and like (laughs) all of these things have been a part of the first round of the playoffs forever. Well, now... It's just not. I mean, yeah. now that's not the conversation. Now this is the expectations that this team fully expected to be here. This was just – this is almost like, you know, the middle of their road that they anticipated uh, driving on. And they expect to go win. And it's not a big deal if they do. And that's different because yeah. the concept of them winning a playoff game has been a massive deal forever. So yeah. now – it's not now. Now it's about you know sort of the bigger picture of the journey and this being their first step. And you know what's so unique is uh, they're on an eight-game winning streak, which ties the franchise record that they set back in 2015. They had an eight-game winning streak to open the season, and then the year ended with that debacle of a playoff loss against Pittsburgh. But you know, I know Zach Taylor said this week that. When it comes to momentum, he said, quote, the media can kind of make what they want out of it. So when you look at the fact that they're riding an eight-game win streak and you look at, you know, other teams that have had such a win streak entering the playoffs, I know you kind of wrote about this. So, you know, does momentum really matter? Like, if you had to make that assessment, like Taylor said, how much does that really matter for a game like this? It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the history and stats bear that out. I mean, you have the last 13 teams – to enter the playoffs on a win streak of at least seven games, seven of them lost their first game. Wow. Seven of them lost their first game. And that's not to say that the Bengals are going to get bounced or that it's something that you know you can't win with. Um, it's to say that it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's a coin flip in the playoffs almost regardless of what your history was. And that's something that players say all the time and we sure, sort of you know, sweep aside as cliche. But really it's true whether you've won. You know, 2012, Brian Callahan was on the Denver Broncos staff. 
and they had won 12 in a row. They, they hadn't lost in months. They were just killing everything in their path. Yeah. Peyton Manning was on fire. Yeah. They had a home divisional game against Joe Flacco and the Ravens, yep. and they got upset. They Double lost, overtime. Right, in, in overtime. And, and, and Joe Flacco closing his eyes and throwing a deep ball to Jacoby Jones. <laughs> but, I mean, that is what happens. The playoffs are wild. Yeah, Crazy man. things happen. You have a lot of good teams. The history of how good you've been it, it just doesn't have a whole lot of bearing yeah. on, on whether you're going to win or lose in, in that first week. So I, I don't think – I think your momentum is what you create in-game. Man, it's so funny you mentioned that playoff game in Denver. I was a freshman in high school, and I remember where I was. I was in my room at my parents' house watching that game thinking, wow. Like, that was yeah. the first time I'd really seen, like, that kind of an upset with the number one seed. And you're right. I mean, there's so much truth to what you said because two of the last three number one seeds in the AFC – they didn't make it to the Super Bowl. The Titans last year, the Bengals beat them. They were a four seed. Two years before that, Baltimore, who was ironically coming to town Sunday, that was when Lamar won MVP, 14-2. and two. Lost to the Titans, who were a six seed. So with that, like you said, it doesn't really matter to the point where is there also maybe a chance that we could see? I know you said you're not too worried about the Bengals, but is there maybe that added possibility that the six seed Ravens will repeat some of that history are there any concern that you have the Bengals might slip up this weekend absolutely i i think you know well six seeds are seven and one in the last four years crazy which is crazy which is wild but i will say this i mean when you throw in the fact that it's a divisional opponent that knows you so well and that has such a good defense um you know i i think they're going to give the Bengals all that they can handle i mean there's just that type of knowledge um, it only takes one slip up for the game to go the other way when a team that Baltimore just pulls teams down into the muck every single week sure um, you know and and they're able to play that game they absolutely are sitting there seeing a scenario and a path to winning you know 17 to 16 or something like that I mean that's what it has to look like but they're gonna do their best to pull the Bengals down into the muck and, and, and they did a lot of times last week I don't know how much bearing last week's going to have on what happens on Sunday night. Sure. But I do know that when you have teams that know each other so well and they have such a potent defense like they do, um, I, I fully expect them to be able to uh, keep Burrow and the offense contained, relatively speaking. And then it's just going to be a matter of can they find any way to create offense, whether that's a special teams play or a defensive turnover or whatever. They just got to find some way to get a little bit more offense to try to put them over the top. I don't know if they can do that. Um, Snoop Huntley, we know Lamar Jackson looks like. <laughs> right. Like they, they only have, you know, it's not like, there's, not like they've had any instances of that with Huntley in with only one touchdown uh, every game he's played in. Uh, but, you know, that's, it, you can see that path. And without making any declarations, like you said, Lamar Jackson didn't practice Wednesday, didn't practice Thursday. Tyler Huntley was practicing both days this week. He did throw Thursday. So should Lamar Jackson not play, it seems like there's a good chance Huntley gets the nod. And without making any assumptions, obviously, if it is Huntley who starts instead of Anthony Brown, who started in his first career start last week. Like you said, Huntley's not like this guy that you should worry about. But I like how you said the Ravens really kind of pull you in the mud. Like, could you see Tyler Huntley finding a way with his body, just pulling the Bengals defense and Lou Anaruma in the mud somehow, some way? Yeah, well, I mean, it's J.K. Dobbins has been fantastic since he kind of fully got healthy this year. And, you know, the the Bengals defense has done a pretty good job of holding teams down in the run game, but – you know, the Ravens are, are different that way in a varied running attack, 
I fully expect to see them implementing some 13 personnel the way that Isaiah Likely played last week and even Charlie Kohler oh, yeah. played last week where you could you could drop all three tight ends out there, try to power run and play action off of it and have some long drives, have an efficient run game and have that be a way to keep safe plays. And, and Huntley, you know, for all that he's been, it, when he's had opportunities, he has made drives to win games and plays to win games and, and found ways to do some things. You know, as a consistent, he hasn't been consistent in moving the offense, but it's not like it's never happened. And so there's absolutely ways where where they can get enough, particularly if you give them a short field once or twice um, and some Justin Tucker magic, you know, to give give you enough to let your defense win you a game. My last question to kind of wrap up, Paul, going back to the Bengals offense, you know, Mike Nizek and I talked about this earlier on the podcast, but, you know, when you don't have Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins on the right side, you have Hakeem Adeniji and Max Sharping, you already look at the fact that Joe Mixon, at least since December, has not run well. It probably, compared to all running backs in the league, he's been one of the worst, with all due respect to him, uh, when it comes to yards per play and just efficiency. How much more concerned are you now that you don't have your two right side starters? And on top of that, how much concern is there that Joe Burrow might not go through a full repeat of what he went through in the playoffs last year, but might get a glimmer of that just with that right side being what it is? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that's the biggest concern coming into things. I mean, you, they, yeah. spent, they spent so much time and resources money. and money yeah in in trying to get the right guys and fix that line and really did it and it was a big part of why their offense was humming so well and then you look at the fact that yeah they're not running it as well in recent weeks and some of that is kind of weirdness of these games that have just they've just been odd in general um but you know they've kind of shifted to this let burrow cook thing that's been yep. going on recently and, and it's working Last week you saw Burrow's pocket presence show off where he's making guys miss. That, that's just not a sustainable way to live. That's you the problem, that yeah. last year. Uh, so the hope, the hope obviously, is that those guys can hold up enough and you can find ways to create efficiency in the run game where they need it. Eventually they're going to need it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all eyes on the right side. I mean, teams are going to be trying to exploit it. They're going to be attacking it every which way, testing their – uh, communication, testing their ability to hold up over there and seeing if they can take advantage um, because it's it's clearly a spot that uh, we, we've seen teams taking advantage of before when the Bengals haven't been stout over there. Definitely a focal point of emphasis to watch that a lot of people will be watching on Sunday among many other things, but Paul, there's never enough time. We really appreciate you having you on. That's Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic. Him and Jay Morrison host that podcast hear that podcast ground there you go has a very catchy intro which you you'll have to listen to by tuning into their <laughs> podcast uh again paul thank you so much for joining us uh best of luck to you with your coverage this week thank you again sir thank you yes sir don't go away we'll be right back on the strictly stripes podcast thanks for staying with us on the strictly stripes podcast so mike we heard from paul he talked a lot about you know momentum and how momentum really has no significance in the sense of a game like this and i agree with him because it's an overused word it's cliche but if we're being technical the Bengals have won eight straight games entering the playoffs that ties a franchise record so they could set a new record uh with win streak uh on sunday if they beat baltimore it'd be nine games it'd be the first time in team history that they've done such a thing however him and i both agree that it doesn't really matter. And Zach Taylor said this week, you know, he'll kind of let the media be the judge of what momentum really means. So we were the judge of it. We think it doesn't matter. Does momentum in this sense 
have any impact to you at all in a game like this? Well, it depends. Uh, I think that it's overused in general in terms of like, you know, just a general win streak. But I think if you're playing well, I do think that carries over. I think, uh, you know, a lot of talk this week of the turnovers and how the, sometimes there's uh, momentum into that, that they build, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they only have 11 or so in what the first 10 games or however it is. And then, you know, uh, nine in the last three, I think there are some pieces of it, just how you're playing. I think you can build on that. I think for a team, a veteran team like this, you know, I don't think there's a flip side to it where they – I think they can turn the page on a bad performance. But I do think there are some elements um, that carry over. I think confidence is one of them. I think they're that's sort of part of it. I mean, you know, it's all, all tied together. And this team's playing with a whole lot of confidence right now. So um, however you define it, I mean, maybe it's semantics. But I do, I do think there is some carryover in that swagger that they have, uh, that experience that they have, you know, having had the playoff run last year. I don't think it's necessarily tied to the eight-game win streak. I just think it's at the, the level they're playing at. I think it does make a difference. I think Paul mentioned, I'd have to go back and listen, but I think he mentioned that six seeds, at least uh, in their last seven games, like they're six and one in these situations. Again, I, I have to go back and listen, but what he was implying, and I agree, is like a lot of six seeds have made it out of these situations. Like look at the 49ers last year. They made it to the NFC Championship. Um, speaking of the Ravens, when they were the one seed two years ago in Lamar's MVP year, three years ago, I should say, they were the one seed and they lost to a six-seeded Titans team. And if you look at the one seed, one seeds have been knocked out of the playoffs in the AFC speaking two out of the last three years. The only one that wasn't was the Chiefs when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to Tampa Bay last year. But yeah, the Titans got knocked out by the Bengals two years before that. Like we mentioned, Ravens got knocked out. I'm not saying there's a chance but i'm saying there might be a chance do you and without giving too much of a prediction away because we'll talk more about this with andrew on friday but do you really think that whether it's with tyler huntley or anthony brown and with everything with standing on the Bengals' offense is there a chance that paul's stats might actually have some correlation and causation or am i just talking crazy well, no, because <laughs> the, what happened previously to a six seed that wasn't the Bengals that's not this year don't that wouldn't uh, cause a loss for certain. Um, whether they, you know, <laughs> obviously it would. <laughs> these are the same seedings, but I don't. I don't think that sort of has any necessarily bearing on it. Um, I, I think when you look at it, I mean, they, the, the team with a third string quarterback's in a bad spot, whatever, regardless of what seed you are. Um, you know, and if Tyler Huntley plays quarterback with tendonitis in his you know throwing shoulder um is not a good place to be when you're playing you know arguably one of the top three top five quarterbacks in the game i think if the ravens were healthy and everything was equal i think you'd be absolutely right to worry about this game um with a healthy lamar jackson across the across the field because he's a guy that changes the game and every time he has the has the ball the same can't be said for his backups as much as you know the coaching staff wants to prop them up it's just not the same thing it's I think this defense is good, um, but how are they going to score the points to to win? I, ju I just, uh, you know, J.K. Dobbins, man, I don't know. J.K. Dobbins, I'm not <laughs> saying he's elite, he's far from it, but I think when they have him back, that actually might not be a bad thing to have in a situation like this. How much does it make a difference? Yeah, I don't know. But... The, the Bengals' strength is their rushing defense, so I mean, if I think they'd the Bengals would happily let them try to run it. Um, I think they would take sure. that trade off. 10 times out of 10. So I, I just sure. don't see it. You know, whether the line is getting too high at 10 points, you know, in, in a game where 
two teams know each other very well. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think it'd be considered a colossal upset if the Bengals lost on Sunday. You know, a lot of Bengals fans hearing this are holding their breath because the last time the Bengals faced a third-string quarterback in the playoffs was Andy Dalton's rookie year in 2011. And I don't think they want to remember this name, but they're going to remember it. T.J. Yates, third-string quarterback who started uh, after Matt Schaub and his backup. I forget who. I think it would have been Matt Liner. Him and Matt Liner, I believe, were both injured. And so that's why... Uh, he started, and he gave the Bengals a shellacking in that game. It was a almost 30-point loss in Houston, which way different extreme. The Bengals were the underdog. They were a wild-card team. Adon was a rookie. He was not an MVP candidate like Joe Burrow. But I just think a lot of people are holding their breath because they know the Bengals still just have not been on the right side of opposing you know, third-string quarterbacks. But like you said, though, this was 2011. I'm just being the pessimist here or I'm just being the contrarian because someone has to do that, right? But I want to have a little fun here. You know, we talk about a lot of deep, deep stuff. I want to have a little fun here. I know you were in on this this week, but Jamar Chase definitely felt – he said he definitely felt like the Ravens' defense was playing a little dirty. He knows that better than most because he had an incomplete pass. I want to say in the second half, and Rokon Smith just bumped him. Give him a little shoulder shimmy, more than a shoulder shimmy, because when you're Roquan Smith, nothing is a shimmy. But uh, he said, yeah, we're we're going to get back at them. Uh, he left that open to interpretation. I'd imagine it just means that, yeah, they're going to score however many points and beat them. But I don't know. AFC North football is a little interesting, especially when you got two teams in the playoffs from the same division. You think we're going to see a little, little chippiness, a little, little revenge, a little feistiness on Sunday? A little, but I mean, I, I would be surprised if it's when the game is still competitive. I think this team um, is savvy enough to know if they draw a 15-yard penalty to try to do something like that, that, that that's not doing anybody any favors. If the game gets out of hand um, and they take a, uh, take a big lead in the second half, I think absolutely you'll see some, some extracurricular stuff in terms of, you know, try, uh, uh, Jamar called it get back. But, um, <laughs> you know, in terms of the first half of the game's close, I don't think the Bengals have any interest in, in sort of doing that um, just because they know what's uh, what's at stake. This is a veteran team, um, and they see, they've see they seen how, you know, costly those penalties can be. You know, Trey Henderson's had a, had a couple late uh, rough in the hit, uh, passer penalties that haven't looked very good, and, you know, they, they regret those. They get, they, they you know, Zach Taylor um, obviously, you know, doesn't give those guys the leeway like that. He wants uh, them to be very disciplined, and they've been disciplined all season. So I, I think you'll see that if the game gets out of hand a little bit um, either way, I suppose, but especially if the Bengals can get in control in the second half, um, you might see something. I'd, I'd be surprised um, if somebody did something where, you know, you'd risk a penalty, whether it's taunting, whether it's a hit after the whistle or anything. I, I think it'll be physical up front. I mean, absolutely. I think this is going to be, you know, anytime you play a team three times, anytime you play a rival three times, yeah, these teams, there's no love lost, but um, I think they'll keep it, um, you know, obviously between the numbers and, and um, before the whistle. So we're not going to see Jamar Chase flash the money like he did in front of Justin Reed? We're not going to see that? I guess not. Maybe late. If, you know, if that's a touchdown to put him up, you know, 20, 28 points, yeah. But um, <laughs> not before then because, I mean, you really – Sure. Uh, you know, especially the margin of error in some of these games has been very thin, and you don't want to give a team that's already, you know – going to be struggling offensively any sort of extra to get an Anthony Brown or Tyler Huntley a shorter field when you know that they're just they 
They're just not very good on offense right now. No, not at all. But it's just funny, though, because like that, that penalty that Jamar Chase had, for those who don't know, he did that in front of Justin Reed when T. Higgins uh, scored a touchdown against the Chiefs back in December. And it was on like the first or second drive of the game. It was like early in the first quarter. And if you watch the TV copy, Zach Taylor was livid. He was angry. Like, I'd never seen Zach Taylor that angry before. So, like, you can guarantee – uh, he's not going to be okay with that. But I only have that concern because Jamar said he would 100% do it again. But like you said, though, if he's going to 100% do it again, you'd hope it wouldn't be when it's a contested game, which I'd imagine it won't be, especially with the way the Ravens are playing on offense. But if it is, for whatever reason, you, you got to keep that in the back pocket and either just don't do it at all or just wait until after the game when you know, you're know you celebrating and you're going on to the divisional playoffs against likely Buffalo. So, yeah, no, no funny business there, but – um. Tell you what, though, AFC North playoff football, like, it's not a cliche to say that, like, AFC North football is tough. It's less of a cliche to say it's tough in the playoffs because you think back at that Steelers Bengals game in 2015, and really the only players on that team who are still around are Kevin Huber and Clark Harris, who, for all we know, might not be with the Bengals much longer. But yeah, like, like that was a chippy game. There were penalties. People were hitting each other left and right. And, I mean, that's just AFC North football, whether it's Bengals-Steelers, Steelers-Ravens, Bengals-Browns. Like, I don't know. We Maybe another podcast would be worth discussing what, what, what's the most fierce, toughest, brutal rivalry in football. Certainly a case to be made for the AFC North. How much of that will be on display is to be determined, but we'll find out this Sunday. But tune in. Friday, as Mike and I will be joined by Andrew once again. We're going to have our full predictions, final previews, last-second thoughts ahead of the big game on Sunday. And once again, for myself and Mike Nisla, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Have a great night.